The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. America's crashing. It's crashing on every hand. Policemen being shot. People being murdered. And it's amazing to me that the research shows that a small fraction of black Americans and white Americans and Hispanic Americans are being shot by police as they perform their duties. They are a thin blue line. The number of black people shot by black people in a year is 40 times 40 times the number being shot by police. As one African-American woman said this last week, it's come to a point where we have to ask if any lives matter. And then our president in Spain asked a question, responds by saying, our police need to admit the problems they have. And he sided with radical leftist people who hate America and want to destroy this nation. And in the midst of all of this chaos, there is the financial issues that are coming at us like a bullet. There are the war drums beating in the South China Sea. NATO is pushing for a war and even a nuclear exchange with Russia. I have never in my life seen on every front such utter chaos and destruction. Now I know some of you will say, and I will agree with you, that this is all a sign that Jesus is coming. But there's a great problem we're facing in the midst of all of this. And that is that the church is sound asleep. A caller a regular listener spoke with me after the broadcast this last week. And this caller quoted a scripture and asked a question. I'm going to read for you the scripture. It's found in Romans, the third chapter, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And she said to me, Pastor, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. That has become the accepted mantra of the modern church. It has become the truth of the modern church. The bumper sticker that I see every once in a while, it says, the only difference between you and me is that I'm forgiven. The church has bought the Gnostic gospel that says I can be a sinning Christian. And so 
the church is no different than the world, and because we're no different than the world, then we feel comfortable in pursuing everything that our heart desires. And so the church has become in America today a bastion, a bastion of entertainment. It has become a bastion of the unholy. And now how are we supposed to deal with all that's happening in the culture? How are we supposed to deal with the wickedness that is flooding up from every hand like a geyser? How are we supposed to deal with that? Now, this passage of scripture in Romans, the third chapter, is taken utterly out of context to prove that we can be Gnostic Christians and still go to heaven. But listen to verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. And of course, the modern church says, Oh, we're justified. When Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees himself, which is a total mistranslation of the Greek. It, it's just not there. The word is dikasune in the Greek, and it means to be made righteous. It doesn't mean to have just my past sins forgiven. It means to be made righteous so that I no longer walk in sin. I am justified freely by his grace. And they say that grace is a cover for my sin. But nowhere in scripture is grace ever spoken of as a blanket that covers over my sin. The righteousness of Christ is is a robe to be put on over a cleansed person by the blood of Jesus. And so we compound lie upon lie upon lie to allow us to continue to walk in degradation. Now, my pastor was a wonderful Christian brother by the name of David Wilkerson. God sovereignly brought him into my life at a time when I desperately needed pastoral help and direction. And God gave us to each other. He's written a book many years ago. He has now passed on to his reward. But he wrote a book called God's Plan in the Coming Depression by David Wilkerson. He was the senior pastor and founder of the Times Square Church in New York City, a magnificent church today. But he wrote this. The time was the roaring 20s, and Americans were enjoying the greatest prosperity in the nation's history. Very few people saw the storm clouds gathering overhead. Most people's thoughts and energies were focused on making money. The period was also known as the decade of decadence. And during that time, God gave the world a lesson about his wrath against nations that sin against his mercy. He sent a warning to America in the form of a major depression. And this terrible judgment immediately brought the roaring 20s to a sudden halt in a single 10-year period from 1919 to 1929, America changed from a society of mostly religious, well-mannered citizens to a nation saturated with drunkenness and an obsession with sex. Two main factors contributed to this change. The invention of the radio 
and the closed-top automobile. Up to that time, cars had no tops. But with the advent of the enclosed car came a sexual revolution. Unmarried couples started using their newfound privacy for sex. This moral upheaval prompted the newspapers of the time to label the new cars brothels on wheels. In 1920, the women's suffrage movement gave American women the right to vote, an event said to have liberated the modern woman. Yet this landmark act also ushered in other forms of liberation regarding women. Up to this time, women were said to be the guardians of morality in America. But suddenly, as women gained more freedom, the hems of their skirts began to rise higher and higher. Until 1919, women wore dresses that were so long they virtually scraped the ground. Now, as the new immorality of the 20th century took root, dress changes were dramatic. The new decade became the era of flappers. Young women who wore thin, form-fitting dresses in an effort to shake off the old Victorian moral codes. This change in dress was so unprecedented and so abrupt, an alarmed fashion writer for the New York Times declared, The American woman has lifted skirts far beyond any modest limitation. Another writer warned, If dresses hems are nine inches off the ground today, there could come a day when our nation becomes so immoral, hems will rise to the kneecaps. These weren't the rantings of a conservative preacher, but of the unconverted press. What would they think of today's miniskirts, revealing dresses and near-nude bathing suits? In retrospect, it's easy to be amused by the eroding morals of the 20s. Preachers of the time denounced women who were wearing rouge, calling them painted ladies. They even cried out against women who bobbed their hair or rode bicycles on Sunday. But in truth... The acceleration of bad manners and morals in the 20s was no laughing matter. Suddenly, the upright morality of the past was being mocked, and the results were disastrous. Smoking became pandemic. So-called nice girls began to light up cigarettes in public just like men. And while their male counterparts carried hip flasks full of whiskey, women even began chewing tobacco and spitting in spittoons. Soon an obsession with sex swept the nation like wildfire. The subject became a daily focus of conversation. Sex-centered Freudian philosophy swept the land and religious convictions about sex were ridiculed. Public dancing became sensual and intimate, and sex in movies and magazines grew permissive by the period's standards. There was even some full nudity in films and publications of the time before the censor codes were put into place. At this point, Liberal preachers who prided themselves on keeping up with the times dismissed all warnings of a moral landslide. They tried to reassure an alarmed public that the sexual experimentation of the period wouldn't escalate into deeper immorality. They even made light of young people smoking and drinking gin and dancing sensually and having sex in the back seats of cars. But the the situation was rapidly growing worse. By 1923, young women were crowding into bars during cocktail hours, just like men, hiking their feet up on the bar, getting drunk, and having to be carried out to their cars. And along with strong drink came even stronger words. Language suddenly turned foul and indecent. 
God's name was cursed everywhere and an act unthinkable just a few years before. Not surprisingly, the standards and codes of marriage began to break down. Chastity and faithfulness became outdated. And adultery became the vogue. Over time, the new sexual immorality broke up homes all across the country. In 1910, almost nine marriages out of 100 ended in divorce. By 1920, that percentage had risen to more than 13. And by 1928, it ballooned to one in six marriages. Just a side note. Today, it's one half. Sometimes more than that. Sometimes it's 55 to 60 percent in certain groups. The marriage divorce rate is higher among evangelical Christians than worldly people. But back to this sermon preached by this wonderful brother many years ago, David Wilkerson. Such drastic changes are hard to fathom even by today's standards, yet they all happened in just a few short years. By 1928, America was a wild, roaring, prosperous nation. Just like today, America in the roaring 20s enjoyed a seven-year bull market from 1923 to 1929. The country's prosperity seemed endless. Stocks in railroad companies skyrocketed, even as the automobile industry produced tens of millions of cars. Radios were booming, and the value of companies like General Electric, Woolsworth, Montgomery Ward escalated out of sight. When Herbert Hoover was elected president in 1928, the country was still riding high on the prosperity that had begun under Calvin Coolidge. President Hoover declared to his, in his acceptance speech, quote, We in America today are near the final triumph over poverty. The poorhouse is vanishing. We are in sight of the day when poverty will be banished from this nation, end quote. Money and sports became the two golden idols of the time. Millions of people invested in the stock market trying to strike it rich, and the market kept smashing all previous records. Everyone, it seemed, was playing the market. Shoeshine men, bus drivers, housewives, maids, butlers, even ministers. One newspaper reported that four out of every five people who rode the trolley car was reading the stock reports, and virtually every small city in the country had a brokerage house open. America's prosperity was so rampant, all rules of logic were broken. People reasoned every crash in the past has been followed by a recovery. The market can only go up. Therefore, there's no reason to sell. I'll just buy and hold on. In 1929, the Standard Trade and Security Service began to sense that the market was headed for trouble. At one point, they issued a stern warning. A handful of business leaders also awakened to the crisis, and they tried to sound an alarm about the possible crash. Several ministers joined in denouncing America's widespread greed, prophesying that God was about to judge the country for its sins. But the vast majority of experts responded, Be bullish on America. Prosperity is here to stay. Just keep investing and spending. One writer of the Times summed up America's vision of the future with these words, We are a country free from poverty and hardship. 
We have new science, new prosperity, roads crowded with millions of new automobiles, airplanes are filling the sky, lines of high-tension wires flow hilltop to hilltop with power to give information to a thousand labor-saving machines. Skyscrapers rise above one-time villages. Vast cities are rising up in the great masses of stone and concrete and are roaring with incredibly mechanized traffic. And smartly dressed men and women are spending, spending, spending the money they've won in the market. Americans ignored the few voices of reason who advised caution, and they just kept spending. And then the inevitable happened. On September 3, 1929, the market began to crack. Something was wrong. Everybody in America knew it. Margin buyers suddenly began fleeing the market. Yet even after this omen, economic soothsayers raised a loud voice to try to calm the panic the Harvard Economic Society announced this is just a period of readjustment, a much-needed market correction. This is not the beginning of a depression. An An expert named Professor Fisher declared, within a few months, the market will rebound and go higher. President Hoover echoed the feelings of most financial observers. America's industrial situation is absolutely sound. Our factories are humming. Businesses healthy. The economy in good condition. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with an, with our underlying business and credit structure. It's a good time to buy stock. One newspaper published this headline on October 16, 1929. American business is too big and diversified and the country too rich to be influenced by stock fluctuations. By the way, is any of this sounding familiar to you? Have you watched CNN lately? Finally, on Tuesday... October 29, 1929. The American stock market crashed to the ground. Utter fear and panic struck by noon that day. The leading stocks just kept falling. And this time there were no bargain hunters, investment buyers, or big operators looking to buy their own stock back. Instead, all across the country, people swarmed into their local brokerage offices, desperate to sell at any price. But there were simply no buyers. The exchange system couldn't cope with the masses trying to sell. And within eight short hours, the party was over. President Hoover tried to reassure the nation, but his words had little effect. The communication systems of America were jammed by the voices of sellers only with no buyers in sight. Panic hit the foreign nations all across the world. People were stunned, shocked, and fearful at the news that the great economy of America had suddenly fallen. In every town and village in the United States, families were cast into poverty, having lost their paper wealth. Suicides were beginning to be reported all over the nation. The Great Depression had just begun. It lasted for nearly a decade. I've read many books on what brought down the stock market in 1929. I've listened to the Keynesians. I've listened to Ben Bernicke and his helicopter money. I can tell you this depression hit me very hard. Why? Was I alive then? Of course not. But my grandfather, Rollo Strauss, was a builder 
in Wyoming, in Cheyenne. He had just completed building three new homes. He had buyers with deposits. And then it all crashed. And the buyers disappeared. The bank had to repo the three houses. And Grandpa's business of beginning to build homes collapsed. And he had to declare bankruptcy. Out of that mess, he was able to save an old truck that was in good shape. And he began a business again of driving from his home in Bosler, Wyoming to Cheyenne. There was no paved road. There was just two trails out across the prairie and up the mountain. And he would pick up supplies for the ranchers and he would deliver them. He became a delivery man. And that's how he supported Grandma and my mother and the sisters, the aunts, during the Depression. On my father's side, we lost the ranch. And Dad had to go to work changing tires, working on a road crew, building bridges, Times were hard. It's reported that seven plus million people starved to death in the United States during the Great Depression. God's judgment on America. We find all through the Old Testament stories of God's coming and judgment bringing famine. He brought famine to America. Do you honestly believe in the wickedness of this day that we have become unconscious of? Do you honestly believe that God will not judge America for its sin? If he does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, for we have become in America far more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah. Every ungodly thing is lifted up. Everything of wickedness is lifted up. And people think nothing of it. And the preachers preach a gospel that does not call men and women to righteousness, but instead comforts them in the midst of their sin and says, you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. But in fact, they're not on their way to heaven at all. We've not learned the lessons of the Great Depression Now, am I suggesting that we should go back and have women wear skirts that reach and scrape the ground? No, of course not. It was not only very unsanitary, it was unhealthy. The the heavy weight on the skirts caused great physical difficulty for many women in that day. But I am saying it's time to take a careful look at the carnality of our American life. And begin to let the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin. And turn once more from the wickedness of our age. You cannot cast yourself into the entertainment industry of today and think that you are a Christian. You cannot find your comfort in 
professional baseball and football and hockey and all the other professional entertainments. You can't begin to spend your time there and imagine that you are a Christian. Because you say you're a Christian does not make you a Christian. A Christian, by definition, is a Christ follower, not a Redskins follower. A Christian, by definition, is a follower of Jesus Christ, not a Pokemon follower. Today we, like little children, hear the siren call of everything that is of darkness and unclean and follow it after and say, it's okay, I'm saved. I'm saved. Some of you think by trying hard to get the flesh cleaned up, you're going to somehow make it. I praise God that you're at least looking at the flesh and saying, This anger and bitterness and fornication and lying and cheating and stealing, it has to leave my life. But that's not salvation either. Salvation comes by a supernatural work of God where he transforms a person's life, where a person denies themselves, takes up their cross and seeks Jesus with all of their hearts and cries out after him and says, Oh God, look what I've done. Open my eyes, open my ears, change me, oh God, or I'm going to go to hell. This is what has to happen. Now, I know many of you who listen to this broadcast you say in your heart, I love Jesus. But do your actions demonstrate love for Jesus or love for the world? Have you excused your wicked actions and somehow pretended that you're breaking of the law of God, that your immorality, that your free expression of a wicked heart is acceptable before God? Do you think you can lie and cheat? Do you think you can lust and envy and there will be no consequences? Do you think you can be casual about prayer and scripture Do you think you can be casual and add church to your life like you would add another amenity like your favorite grocery store or your favorite club to go work out? Do you think you can add Jesus to an already full life and he's going to be satisfied to just be a part of your life? And then you're going to go to church and listen to unclean preaching and unclean music and unclean entertainment. You think you're going to go to church and Jesus is going to be pleased with you and is not going to bring judgment upon America? Do you think that Planned Parenthood report from the government accounting office? saying it looks like Planned Parenthood had babies born, living, so they could then be dissected and their body parts sold? How much more wicked can America become where abortions are cheap? Where the siren call is that women have a right to have an abortion. No, women have a right to say, no, I'm not going to go to bed and have sex with that man. We don't have a right to murder our babies. How much more wicked can America become? America takes more psychedelic drugs than any other nation in the world? I wonder, is that because of a guilty conscience? No peace, no joy, filth, 
Are we surprised at what's happening in America when the movies have been full of incredible wickedness and violence, uncleanness? Are we surprised when the heroes of our day are the Kardashians, the Beyonce's? Are we surprised that our young people are rapping filthy music about killing cops that now finally they're killing cops? No, America's chickens are coming home to roost. From the wickedness and the trashing of everything having to do with righteousness and Jesus. I'm broken hearted today. I wasn't sure how to even do this broadcast. I'm broken hearted for the families who are losing their loved ones. Not just the police, but the mothers and fathers of those precious young people who are shooting each other in Chicago or Detroit or some other great city controlled by leftist progressive Democrats who have no law and order who have no sense of righteousness. It breaks my heart to see even those at the highest levels of our government lying and cheating and stealing. I listened to a woman, Austin Phipps. She was in government service very high government service saying she finally had to leave when she concluded that HUD was a criminal enterprise. I've spoken with other people who've worked in very high levels of Homeland Security and other areas and their report is similar. Money being siphoned off. Criminal activity rampant. The American people losing confidence in our government because the corruption at even the highest levels. In the book of First John. Let me read this for you. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, can I make that real straight? If you love the movies, the violence, if you love the Pokemons, if you love the Redskins, if you love all of the professional sports. The love of the Father is not in you. Isn't it time we called a spade a spade? Isn't it time we stopped soft-pedaling the gospel of righteousness that Jesus came to transform us? He came to change us into the likeness of God. We are not to be a part of the world. We are called out of the world and some of you say I love Jesus and then out of the other side you say I love the Redskins you can't love both at the same time salt water and fresh water do not flow from the same spring everything in the world the cravings of sinful man this is First John, the second chapter, verse 16, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, 
does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour as you have heard the Antichrist is coming. And even now many Antichrists have come. What is Antichrist? Something or someone who stands in opposition to the person who would choose to leave his sin and be transformed by Jesus Christ and become sold out as a follower of Jesus. This is how we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Verse 22, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. How do we deny that Jesus is the Christ? By making other things the Christ of our life. By making other things our Messiah other than Jesus. (laughs) Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And we're going to spend the rest of this week in Hebrews. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. If you continue to deliberately walk in the way of this world and you refuse to take the time to read the scriptures and pray, if you refuse to repent of your worldliness and your wickedness, and you lust after the things of darkness, there will be no sacrifice for your sin. In other words, the blood of Jesus Christ will not be applied to your life. And you will come at one point before the judgment bar of God without any atoning blood of Jesus. And you will be declared guilty. And you will forfeit your life. I'm going to open the phone lines. If you'd like to call, you're welcome. 877-534-0780. 877-534-0780. It's time to repent. It's time to seek after Jesus with all of our hearts. It's time to turn off the world and all of its entertainment. It's time to get our faces out of the cell phones and out of the the internet. It's time to get our faces out of the entertainment of this age. It's time to get our faces out of the stock market and out of the lust for money. It's time to seek Jesus with all of our hearts. It's time to be bold for Jesus. Everywhere I go, I'm asking people, are you, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? It's time we separate Christians and non-Christians. It's time non-Christians who call themselves Christians be called out that they could understand their lost condition so they could be saved from their sin. People say, I'm saved, and I say to them, oh, I'm glad you're saved. What have you been saved from, and what have you been saved to? 
Well, I've been saved from the penalty of sin. No, no, wait a minute. Are you saved from the penalty of sin or are you saved from sin? If you have not been saved from your sin, you cannot be saved from the penalty of your sin. Listen, this is Hebrews 10, verse 28. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who's treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? He's speaking here about people who call themselves Christians. You know, I could talk about what's happening in the South China Sea as Russia or as China is being confronted by America and the shipping lanes are being held open by military naval craft and China threatening to sink those ships on the verge of a war with China. It could break out today. Our forces stand opposite one another, overflown by a jet today that has the capacity, a Chinese jet, to carry an atomic bomb. What do you think that would do to our aircraft carrier? We could talk about NATO under American direction, pushing, jabbing Russia, trying to Start a nuclear holocaust. We could talk about the globalist and their eugenics desire to kill, to destroy at least two-thirds of the entire world's population. They see us as eaters, as being worthless. We could talk about What's happening in the stock market and how it will probably go to 30,000. We have not reached its limit by any means. It will pump itself much higher as the bond market deteriorates. The German Bund now being sold at a negative interest rate. We could talk about many things happening in this world. But all of that is inconsequential if it does not alert you and awaken you to the dire, asleep, love of this world condition, if that is where you live today. I don't open this broadcast for a discussion of current events I don't spend time talking about the secret rapture that many people seem to find comfort in. I don't. I don't believe it. We could speak about the fulfillment of prophecy and revelation and find value and worth in that. However, none of that has any import if you continue to comfort yourself in the midst of your condition of sin and convince yourself that you're working as hard as you can to improve yourself, for not one of you will be saved in the kingdom of God by self-improvement. Either you surrender to Jesus Christ and turn your life 100% over to him and ask him to come in and circumcise your heart and deny yourself the world the flesh, and the devil. If you do not deny yourself and turn to Jesus in reality, then all of those other discussions are utterly fruitless. We could spend hours profitably talking about the healing of the inner man, how to deal with inner hurts and inner fears, but all of that will be inconsequential. 
if Jesus is not first and foremost in your life, if you have not separated yourself from the world and given yourself to Jesus Christ, have you given yourself to Jesus? Or has Jesus become just your special invisible friend, a sentimental rabbit's foot for good luck, while you pursue your American exceptionalism? And you live out of your own spirit, denying the spirit of God access and authority over your life. Do you see in the spirit realm or do you only see in the physical realm? Has your heart been captured by the physical realm, by your physical comfort, by your physical need for for money and entertainment and all the rest that the flesh desires? Or have you made the transition And today you serve Jesus Christ and him glorified. How are you today? What is your decision regarding Jesus? Will you seek his face with all your heart? Because if you will, he will be found by you. Lord Jesus, I just lift up every man and woman listening to this broadcast today that they would stop in the rush of this day and see that there is only one Savior. His name is Jesus that they would stop looking for comfort to their entertainment, that they would stop looking for their success in the marketplace, that, Lord, you would turn the heart of your people back to you. Lord, I stand by faith today for the breaking out of full, righteous, and holy revival in the lives of your people. I know it can only happen by a supernatural act of grace as you touch the lives of men and women. Lord, I praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, National prayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com I pray today that you have been touched by the gospel of Jesus God bless you my brother my sister I'll talk to you soon before the presence of his glory with grace joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy